The following episode of Hide and Seek contains graphic content. Viewer discretion is advised. Did he leave a voicemail for her on Friday night? He left a total of two voicemails. She had an old recorder that had yeah. the old mini cassette in it. She didn't have a cell phone at the time. He had called, I believe, a total of four times, but he only left the message twice. And then, you know, and that's weird too. Is like she wasn't there, and you know she wasn't there, and you're leaving voicemails. And it's just, it was weird. She's a like a pagan I'm searching places that I never go destroy walls endless walls but ain't no rock to stop me from getting through if you Four phone calls and two voicemails from the same person left on Nancy's home phone the night she went missing. Are they from the man responsible for Nancy's disappearance? No idea. But as you have just heard from Detective Elkins, some things just don't add up. And this is only the tip of the iceberg. We need to take a deeper look into this mysterious caller. Before we get into investigating this mysterious caller, let's dive into Nancy and Bill's relationship. The separation between the two was cordial. Bill didn't want to separate, but rather it was Nancy who did. He definitely didn't want to get a divorce. I have been told from those who knew the Moyers that Bill had hopes of rekindling and restoring the marriage down the road. That Bill understood he couldn't force Nancy back into the relationship, so if that meant letting her go he would have to respect her wishes with the hopes she would one day come back. Whether Bill knew at the time of Nancy's disappearance that she was having relationships with other men, I don't know. But that being said, it would be fair to bring up the notion that jealousy has a toxic way of making people do heinous things. How many times have you heard of the victim's ex in crime shows say something to the effect of, if I can't have her, no one can? I'll remind you that in the first episode, I shared with you that Detective Haller and Elkins both ruled out Bill as a suspect in their own separate investigations, and that looking at the reasoning, I agree with them. If you're wondering why I'm emphasizing on not looking at Bill as a suspect, here are a few reasons. Bill didn't want the separation and could have been understandably jealous hearing how Nancy is engaging in relationships with other men. Naturally, I would look closely at Bill, wouldn't you? I mean, the idea that he would respect her decision and hope for a second chance down the road, all while maintaining a cordial and healthy co-parenting relationship, seems uncommon for the average person in that situation. It would take someone with understanding and not to mention incredible patience. I haven't had the opportunity to connect with Bill yet, 
but in all of the interviews I've had with Detective Elkins, Nancy's friends and co-workers, they all share the same thing. Bill was a man of character and integrity. From the sounds of it, Bill was essentially father of the year in Nancy's eyes. She would constantly praise the father Bill was to their two daughters, and never shared any concern for her safety. These individuals all shared their confidence that Bill had nothing to do with Nancy's disappearance. Erica's story that you heard in episode 1 of running into Bill and Nancy at the store also carries some evidence to show the terms of the couple's relationship. However, I will point out that this interaction was not previously known to Detective Elkins or to a very close friend of Nancy's that you will meet later on in this episode. Another important detail is that Bill was absolutely compliant in working with detectives. He took a lie detector test when Nancy disappeared and passed with no concerns. I'm still hoping to get the opportunity to speak with Bill. So now that it's been explained why Bill is cleared as a suspect, we're going to pick up where we left off and discuss the phone calls and voicemails left on Nancy's phone. Bill returns to Nancy's house for the second time with his daughters on Sunday evening. He realizes something's not right and files a missing person report with Tenino Police Department. Three days later, Tenino Police requests the Thurston County Sheriff's Department for assistance. That's when Detective Haller begins to investigate Nancy's home. While he is looking through her house, it appears that there are no signs of forced entry and nothing looks out of place. It's reported that Nancy didn't have a cell phone at the time, so he checks her landline call history. He sees that there are four calls from the same phone number Friday evening, and that caller has left two voicemails. Further investigation shows they are from a gentleman by the name of Jim Roth. Jim knew Nancy because they worked at the Department of Ecology together. The Department of Ecology employs approximately 1,600 people. Jim and Nancy worked on the same floor. I've learned that Jim and Nancy went on a date two weeks prior to Nancy's disappearance. Even though the Department of Ecology is a large place, many of Nancy's friends and co-workers knew about the date. Obviously, the phone calls and very recent date with Nancy make him someone Detective Haller wants to interview. Keep in mind, any man who is intimate with a woman who disappears will naturally be looked at. There were some concerns with Jim's testimony when interviewed by Detective Haller, but even more concerns came up when Ben interviewed Jim the second time years later. I spoke with Ben about this. So basically he told Haller that he had this this affair, not affair, but yeah, you know, sexual affair with her that they tried to have sex and, and quote, he, he couldn't get it up and basically satisfied her and she stayed overnight. He got up, made her breakfast and then she went home. And then this was prior to her disappearing. Ben is referring to the date that Nancy and Jim went on two weeks prior to her disappearance. Apparently Jim and Nancy had plans to go on a second date. This was supposed to happen sometime on Saturday, March 7th. She didn't show up. So he just, randomly went to her house and then, and then a bunch of other stuff went on regarding him being at the house, which that, there was some inconsistency there. So then when he was interviewed by me, he denied any type of sexual relationship. Oh no, I take that back. He, he said he did have a sexual relationship, but he actually did have sex with her. Mm-hmm. And he denied, you know, telling, saying what he told Dave Haller and you know, nothing about her staying overnight, nothing about having breakfast, none of that stuff. And then, um, and then him going to the house and him go, he went, basically he went in the house, the door was open, he said, 
he just went in and I said, well, that's kind of weird. You know, why would you just go in and he gave, yeah. gave it an excuse. And, and then when he left, he left the door open. And mind you, it was, it was cold. It was very cold that time of year. Yeah. And I mean, like it was probably in the, tw- I think it was in the twenties. And, you know, I asked him, well, why would you leave the door open if you knew she wasn't there? He said, well, you know, and he gave us this story. Well, you know, people have their own ways of doing things, et cetera, et cetera. And I just left it the way I found it. And I said, that doesn't make sense. You could have, you could have shut the door. You just could have left it unlocked. Right. You know, so just, just some of the stuff he said didn't add up. It didn't make sense. A normal person wouldn't have done the things that he said. You know, a reasonable person would you'd believe that, you know, if I came up on a door, my neighbor's door or a friend's door or supposing this girl that I'm dating or having sex with, and I found her door open, I would, I would shut the door. I'd leave a note for something. It just it didn't jive, so just very suspicious. But it, you know, and, and that's all it was. It was suspicion. There was yeah. no evidence that he was involved. You know, so his so his story with Dave was some of the stuff he said was different from what he told me. You yeah. know, and then he gave an excuse. Well, it was you know several years ago. I forgot. And I go, dude, you know who? who you know, I told him. I gave him an example. I said when I had sex with the first girl I had. Trust me, I didn't. I don't forget that. You don't right. forget that kind of stuff. You're telling yeah. me you forgot? I mean, just stuff like that. It just it didn't make sense. But she had an old recorder that had yeah. the old mini cassettes in it. She didn't have a cell phone at the time because that's when the cell phones started coming out. Right. You know, the right. better ones. But she, he left a couple voicemails on the, the the home recorder. And then he had called, I believe, a total of four times. But he only left a message twice. Okay. And, and that's you know, and that's weird too, is like she wasn't there and you know she wasn't there and, and you're leaving voicemails and it's just it was weird. Yeah, I mean I think I feel when hearing that, if we were supposed to go on a date, you know, and that was planned already prior to the night and I called and you were answering and you know, I called four times, left two voicemails, I feel like it's to to drive over to someone's house that you've only been there once before is no, a little... he never no, here's the thing. He had never been there before. Oh, really? So how did he never know where she lived? So he Googled it. And that's another thing is like he just show up randomly when she was right. supposed to meet him. And, and he never been there. He never been invited there. He just randomly showed up there. And the door was open. And he walked in, looked around, called her name. She wasn't there. And he left, left the door open. Just weird. Yeah, to enter a house that you've never been into before, you you know, did he... Did he go throughout the entire house? Did he just yell her name from the front door? No, he went in the house. He went in the way the house. It's a, it was a small home. It had a living room, then a kitchen, then the bedroom, bathroom off of that. A couple bedrooms. Yeah. He said he he said he actually opened the door into her bedroom and stepped in to see if she was in there. It's just who does that? You know, it's just it's right. weird. Right. It didn't add, it didn't add up. And again, it's just suspicions, but. You know, that's and that's where it was. It was just suspicious because I didn't have any evidence because there was zero. And that's the problem with this case is there was zero physical evidence. You know, when you do cases like this, you look at their criminology, their their patterns. Um, she had no criminal history, um, no suspects, nobody. You know, she had a very private life, so even her sister and her mom had no idea what she was doing. Her sister knew she was out gallivanting, bar hopping and dating she was kind of 
she was experimenting, I guess you could put it. Yeah. But, you know, even when we told her some of the stuff that we had heard from, you know, coworkers and such, her sister was like in awe. You know, supposedly oh, really? she was doing all these sexual fantasies and stuff. So that, that when I say criminology is you look at that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you yeah. could we couldn't because we didn't have someone that was close to her that could that could inform us of what she was doing or what kind of you know, lifestyle she was living. We, and unfortunately, we didn't have that. So that that was very hard. And she didn't have a cell phone. The only friends she had were coworkers and no no close friends. You know, she had a, yeah. a girlfriend that was a, a coworker, but, but that was the extent of it. So it was it was very hard to, to kind of get a timeline from the time she was last seen in, in yeah. like two, three weeks prior. Because nobody knew what she did on her off time. Did anybody else that worked with Nancy or Jim, did anybody speak on Jim's character, his personality? Did he have a criminal history? So the only thing he had was a DUI. And uh, other than that, he was, you know, his coworkers thought <laughs> he was an odd duck. As I listened to Ben, I tried to understand Jim's reasoning on why his testimony was different, even if it was a few years later. But it wasn't just another regular weekend that could possibly be difficult to remember. This weekend was the same weekend that his date, Nancy, went missing. That's a pretty significant event that becomes intensely personal when it's a woman you are pursuing and have had physical relations with. You don't easily forget details like that especially if you have been or are being looked at as a potential suspect. Another thing that surprised me was that Jim went over to Nancy's house the weekend she had disappeared, and from what I've been told, Nancy was very private and had a rule that she did not allow men to come over to her house, even to pick her up or drop her off. Put yourself in Jim's position. What would you have done? Is it normal to go to someone's house you have never been to, search their home from room to room, and then just leave without shutting the front door that was supposedly already open when you arrived? Is that being a good friend, or is it suspicious behavior? To get a deeper understanding of Nancy's working environment, I reached out to that close friend I mentioned earlier. Her name is Bev, and she was somewhat of a mother figure to Nancy. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to talk and your willingness to speak with me. Uh, Can we start off with how you and Nancy knew each other? Okay, I ran a program for the Washington State Department of Ecology that um, allowed us to get money from businesses, cities, and private citizens who have wastewater and stormwater discharge permits and are allowed to discharge in the state. Nancy worked in, as my account, she's the one the money came into the office she tracked the monies that came in and let me know who paid, who didn't pay. And basically, she just kept track of, of the dollars and cents end of things. Um, I knew Nancy for, gosh, many, many years. She started in our fiscal office when she, gosh, it must have been not too far when she was out of college. Um, it, she just got married. Um, I didn't know her very well. She worked part-time for my program and then when lead fiscal person left, she took over, and she did the job of actually being my accountant. So she and I worked very closely, and she was just 
uh, she was a good kid, and she just did a phenomenal job of keeping track of money. So it was a multi-million dollar program, and so she had to be very, very on top of things to make sure that monies were accounted for. And so, and of course, I'm not an accountant. I'm an environmentalist, so she kept track of me too, and she did an excellent job of making sure that I understood the money into things so that if people hadn't paid their fees, what was assessed to them, then I had to deal with, with those folks and uh, make sure that they got their monies in that would allow them to continue operating in the state. So she, I'd known her for many, many years, and she had two children, two daughters, and she, how excited she was when she was pregnant. And, and uh, you know, we had baby showers for her, and she was just you know, a, a great person. And I know that she and her husband, after several years, started having issues. They started going their separate ways. And, and you know, sometimes things like that happen. And so they had separated. But I know that um, they had shared custody of the daughters. The little girls went back and forth. And uh, Nancy could, saw her, her ex-husband. They weren't quite, they weren't divorced yet, but she, you know, always said nice things about what a wonderful father he was and that she seemed to be, she seemed to think that things were, were starting to work out pretty good that, and so she was starting to get a social life again after separating. And so we would, she would come down from the fiscal office and I would have some paperwork that I would have to approve and sign and authorize and. And so we we chit chat about you know, how the girls were doing and how she was doing her private life and and work issues and so forth and and we were just really good colleagues and she was just a good person to have work to to work with. I really enjoyed her. So how many years in total did you know Nancy for? I'm, I I want to say about seven or eight years. It was a while. Okay, so from the sounds of it, Nancy was pretty good at her job. She was. She was, a, a, you know, she's very good at managing money, and she enjoyed it. And what's nice is that as your knowledge grows, your base grows, you know, you do get rewarded for that. And so she got promoted from being a person who helped uh, the lead financial person in my program to to keep track of the dollars and cents to to becoming that lead person to make sure that that monies were credited to the right accounts and. And uh, there's a whole gyration of things to make sure everything got balanced out. So she she became the lead in that. And she you know as she worked hard, she was rewarded for it. And you know she had a good time. We we all had a good time. So you guys had become great friends pretty much immediately. But she was also generally friendly to everyone. She didn't know a stranger. She would talk to anybody. That was just her personality. She enjoyed people. So I'd like to dive into Nancy's relationship with Bill. When you first met Nancy, was she married to Bill, and did she have her first child at that point? She no, it, she had her. We had met when she had her first child. I didn't know her very well. I had more to do with her when she was pregnant with her second. She was working in the fiscal office when she had her first baby, and as I said, she she was kind of an assistant to the the fiscal analyst who was assigned to my program. And so, you know, I, I knew her. I, I talked to her on occasion, but she wasn't the lead. And I didn't have a lot of interna- interaction with her, but I did have some. And she was just such a, a nice, sweet kid. 
and it was when she, after she had her second uh, child, that that's when um, the original fiscal analyst left to go to a different job, and then Nancy took her place. You had mentioned earlier that you can sense Nancy and Bill growing apart. Did you witness this firsthand, or did Nancy share with you details? Basically, it was what she said. I didn't know him. Basically, we were work colleagues. And so she would come to my office, and she, as I said, I'd, I'd have things that I would need to sign, or we'd have to talk about different things. And, uh, you know, it always been a few minutes saying, how are you doing? How are the kids? You know, how's Bill? I mean, I, I didn't know him. but And Nancy was very honest and forthright, and, you know, she'd say, well, you know, we're having... We're having some problems, and part of it was, I think, the fact that she really hadn't experienced a whole lot of life. I mean, she she graduated from high school and went to college. She never really experienced a lot, met him and got married, and, and that was it. And when you're in an office working with a bunch of different people, and it's a very large office, you're exposed to a variety of people, some of which are young people who go out and they, they date a lot, they party, they have fun. But when you're home raising two kids, it's, life is a little bit different. And so I, I think that exposure kind of made her think, well, gosh, did I miss out on something? And so I could see where that would put a lot of stressors in any kind of a relationship. And there was a little bit of immaturity there because she hadn't been exposed to anything outside, really. And so, yeah, things were first starting to fall apart. I mean, she genuinely cared for Bill, and she thought he was a wonderful father. She told me that I don't know how many times, but that she just was growing, and, and her, her work world was expanding, and she wanted to grow, and I think she wanted to see what her potential could be. People grow apart when that happens. When you have one person growing one way and one person moving in a different direction, it's kind of hard to keep things together. Did you know any of the guys Nancy had dated when Nancy and Bill separated? Uh, not at the time. Um, I mean, I after she had disappeared, I knew the names of some of the guys that she had hung with, but that's only because I had people coming to me, especially those at work, coming to me and telling me. So maybe you can help me clear something up. I spoke with Nancy's high school friend, Erica, and Erica said that on her way to Mount Rainier, she actually ran into Nancy and Bill at the grocery store, and it's the only store in Tonino. Um, and Erica was pretty sure it was in 2008 because she was going through a life event at that time, and that's how she correlated the two events together. I was under the impression that the two were separated, but Erica said that they look really happy and even mentioned having more kids together. Can you shed any light on this? Did Nancy ever mention anything like this to you? I haven't heard anything about that. No, that's something I'm, I know nothing about. It would surprise me because that's not where she was at. And uh, so I question the timing of that. But, yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that at all. I think that she, I'm pretty sure she would have said something. And if she didn't say something directly to me, she would have said something to someone else there, and I would have heard through the grapevine. When you work in an office, the grapevine is pretty darn uh, potent. <laughs> yeah, no, there. I never heard anything like that. Nancy never talked about expanding her, her family. She never talked about getting back together with Bill. 
because in all honesty, at that point when she disappeared, she was having fun being single. I mean, she was going out and, and she was meeting guys and, and she was a very tiny, petite, very attractive woman. And so a lot of guys would hit on her and she just, she was enjoying that. And so I, no, that it wouldn't make sense her saying, well, yeah, I want to be the happy housewife. Uh-uh. That doesn't make sense. She wasn't at that place in her life. So you're very devoted to her daughter. So when someone said, no, I think my, she might have walked away. For the person who, who says that, the person who says that they think that maybe she had just walked away, what do you say to them? You probably couldn't say it on air. I, the exact words out of my mouth was bullshit. I'm sorry. You know, you can say, you can think what you want, but you didn't know this woman. This woman, she's incredibly devoted to her daughters and would do anything for her daughters. And she made darn sure that her private life, and, and if she was dating someone, she didn't bring that person into the fold with her daughters. She kept things separate because when she was with her daughters, she was 100% with them. And when she had them, they were her world. So she was very, very careful of what she did. Were there any rumors regarding Nancy dating around the office? It was, there wasn't a relationship. There wasn't a commitment. But I think she would enjoy going out, maybe having drinks, being with friends. Um, and maybe there, I have no doubt there probably was smoking up here and there. Folks would come and tell me, well, we know she went out with so-and-so. And then we know that there was someone upstairs in the fiscal office that she was supposed to meet that weekend. Jim Roth? Yeah, I know she had a, a date with him. This was always a weird thing. I didn't know him. Couldn't have, have told you who he was from Adam. Could have walked right by him and didn't know him until after this happened. And we started searching. And I would go up to the fiscal office and I'd keep the, the folks up there apprised of what we had done on the weekend. And so that, you know, let them know this is, we're still looking, this is what we're doing. And uh, I just found it really interesting. I'm two floors down from him, and all of a sudden, I, someone pointed him out to me up there and said, well, she had a date with him, and he said that she never showed up. And I'm like, oh, okay. I, so I said, well, make sure that, that you tell the police that when they come and talk to us, which they did. And all of a sudden, I noticed this man always walking by my cubicle, my, my work area. And I'm like, why? You don't. Need, why are you coming here? I don't know you. I don't work with you. And it just it just struck me as so odd that all of a sudden the person um, who was supposed to be meeting with someone who's missing is now paying attention to what I'm doing. And I have, I don't work with you. I have nothing in common with you. And yet, why, are you, why do you keep coming by my office? And it bothered me. And so, yeah, I told the detective, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm a very logical person. This is not logical unless you want to know what the heck I'm doing. Because I did have, in, in my break in lunchtime, you know, that's when I usually would pull my maps out at lunchtime and I would start figuring out what we were going to do for the upcoming weekend. And yeah, I did have an area of my, my workstation desk where I... That's where I held that information. So you never saw Jim come down before in your cubicle area before Nancy went missing? No, no. And the area I worked with was pretty, it, it wasn't a hallway. So in order to come 
to my, you know, office. You had to deliberately come there. And it was usually to seek my coworker and I out. We ran a standalone program, just the two of us. And so it's not, you didn't need to, I mean, the hallway was on the other side of us. So it just didn't make sense for this person to all of a sudden start coming in front of our work area. Did Jim ever participate in any of the search parties that you had put on? No, not at all. I mean, I find that odd personally because if I was dating a girl and we were intimate with each other and we were supposed to go on a date that same weekend that she disappears, I personally would go out looking for her. But let me ask you this quick question. Who told you that Jim and Nancy were planning on going on another date that weekend she had disappeared? Yeah, I heard it from uh, the ladies that she worked with upstairs. And I also believe that uh, that was confirmed with the Sheriff's Department. It sounded like his story kept changing. He said they were supposed to meet, then she she didn't show up, and, and then he, I guess he went to her house, and she didn't answer. So I, you know, you get more information from them from that part of it, but that wasn't me. But I heard through the fiscal office, through the ladies who worked with her, side by side with her, that, yeah, they were supposed to, to meet. And, yeah, that, <clears throat> it, it was just an odd thing to me for this person to all of a sudden be showing up. Do you recall a gal by the name of Kim who worked with Nancy? Well, Kim is the one who actually told me, if that's who you're referring to. Kim is the one who told me that Nancy disappeared. Um, And Kim started working for my program, and I mean, I know Kim. Uh, I knew Kim then. I didn't know her as well as I know her now. In fact, Kim and I are really good friends now. But at that point in time, you know, she didn't know that Nancy was my fiscal analyst. And so when she told me, I mean, I I know that she was horrified to find out that, oh, my gosh, you, she was, she worked with you. She, she had no clue. We weren't that close. Was it Kim that told Thurston County that Jim and Nancy were supposed to go on a date that weekend? It wasn't just Kim. It sounded like there were several um, of the, the ladies up there. Who knew that? It sounded like it was very common knowledge. Were you aware that they went on a date two weeks prior to that, though? No. Oh, you didn't? Oh, wow. Okay, so that's new to you, then. That's new to me, yes. So, according to Detective Elkins, Nancy and Jim had gone on a date two weeks prior before she went missing. And after their date, they went to Jim's apartment and where they attempted to have sex. But in what Ben Elkins told me, Jim said he couldn't perform... So she ends up staying the night, and the next morning, Jim makes Nancy breakfast, and then she ends up going home right after that. You haven't heard any of that? I was told that later. I heard this later, yes. I mean, I, I didn't know, I didn't have personal knowledge of it. All I know is that this is what I was told later. And I didn't know, as I said, I, I she never mentioned him to me, but she mentioned him to the folks upstairs. I think the things that were odd about that with him, um, it, it was really funny because when she first disappeared, I was told that from the ladies up, upstairs that she was supposed to be have go on a date with him. And, you know, some of the ladies would say, well, gosh, you know, I tried to say, you don't need to do that. You need to stay away from him because he's a very odd person. And I wasn't exactly sure what that meant, but I know that he made them uncomfortable several of them. Why? I don't know. He just did. 
that definitely raised a red flag with me. And I said, the one thing is when we talked to the detectives, because they were coming to talk to many of us in the agency, I said, you need to make sure that they get that information and, and why you feel that way. Because if this is the person she was supposed to meet and she didn't show up, she was either gone ahead of time or is this person lying, you know? And then um, I found out later that, yeah, he went to her house. It was my understanding, and, and, and I, I won't swear to this, but it was my understanding that he's the one who went to her house and, and went inside her house. The door was unlocked, and he just went inside her house to, to see if she was home, and she, she wasn't there, so he left that weekend. And I'm like, okay, I, how, I wouldn't just walk into someone's house. <laughs> if, if I was supposed to meet someone and they didn't show up, and I went to their house, knocked on the door, and they didn't answer, I would probably be trying to call someone that we had in common and say, you know, I'm looking for this person. This person's not there. Do you know where she is? Or, or you know, maybe something happened. I would be concerned about that, but I wouldn't just walk into somebody's house to see if they're there. I just That was another thing that struck me as odd. So Detective Elkins said that when Jim went to Nancy's, he found the door open and just left it open, then left. And Detective Elkins asked, well, why didn't you shut the front door? And Jim's response was, well, everyone has their own way of doing things. And Ben's response was, you know, that didn't make sense. You know, a normal person would have shut the door because it was cold during that time of year. Exactly. It was cold and rainy, yes. <clears throat> Absolutely. And the crazy part, Bev, was that Jim had never been over to Nancy's house before. He had to Google it. Yeah. And the thing is, if if I had gone over, she had a chair on her porch that when she would smoke a cigarette, she would sit in. Um, this chair was still on her porch. Her cigarettes, it, it had one of the cup holders on the side of it. Her cigarettes were still there, sitting in there. Now, if I had seen that and the door ajar, that definitely would have raised red flags with me saying, okay, something's not right here. Something is going on. So her pack of cigarettes were just left there sitting on the chair? Right. They were still there when we searched, the, the group searched. We, we went, started at her house. They were still there. So, Bev, were you aware of Jim's alibi that Friday night? Yeah, that just didn't make sense. His, his story was changing. And as far as him saying, yeah, he had his kids, um, a lot of kids, they sleep through the night. They wouldn't have a clue if someone was there if someone snuck out i mean and it's it's not that i mean i've I've heard of parents doing stuff like that and as a kid i've done that and and the his wife would not allow the kids to speak with the kids she's the one who asked the kids and the kids said well no he was home all night they have no clue he was there when they went to bed he was there when they woke up that's the only thing they could they could say with any certainty So, testimony has changed. Alibi is not 100%. Snooping around Bev's office for no reason and not participating in search parties? Things don't look good for Jim, do they? As Detective Elkins stated earlier, there's still no actual physical evidence that Jim is responsible for Nancy's disappearance. But things aren't adding up or really making much sense with this suspect. I wish I could speak with Jim, 
but unfortunately, he passed away in 2017 due to natural causes. When Roth died, you know, the coroner didn't realize until the day after that he was, uh, I wouldn't say a person of interest or a suspect, but he was. He was he was kind of a person of interest at the time. And if he would have called me, I could have legally went into his house, mm-hmm. taken a look around, but, but unfortunately that didn't happen. So when I reached out to his ex to see if she would allow me to do that, she wouldn't let me do it. Really? Which is odd, you know. I mean, if it was my ex and there was a detective asking about this and I wasn't married to him, I was like, hell yeah, go ahead. You know, yeah. if that's the case, by far, yeah, you know, go go ahead and take a look. What are you going to do? You're not going to charge him. He's dead. Right. You Did know? she say why she wouldn't let you? She just didn't want her boys to to be aware of any any suspicions that police were looking at her, at her dad. Like, okay, well, I, I said I could be very discreet about that. I'm just, I would just be there and let me take a look. Well, I think, right. again, I think if she thought I, if I found something, well, then the gig would be up. You know, so mm-hmm. I asked her to look, and she said she didn't find anything so, for what that's worth. So yeah, but, I mean, there would also be there would also be closure too, and the truth would be out because there's two yep. girls and exactly. family who don't have. Their yep. mom. And I told I mean, you, know, I, trust me, I said all that too, and she she didn't care. All she was caring about is her boys, which I get it, but sure, come on, man, you know it's, it's a homicide. With Jim's passing in 2017. I feel like my only angle to knowing more about him and his testimony is to try and contact his ex-wife. In the meantime, I'm going to take a look at a homicide that took place in Tenino a year after Nancy had disappeared. At this point in my investigation, I feel the need to find someone who specializes in cases such as Nancy's. I reached out to a private investigator. You may have seen or heard his work in the well-known podcast Up and Vanished or TV shows. Uh, James, uh, this is uh, Dr. Maurice Godwin, touching base with you about the Nancy Moyer case. This case sounds fascinating. It's got the twists and turns, the incredible case, a complex case. And um, I'm definitely interested in helping you out and, and see uh, that we can see if we can find some new information to solve it. Uh, so I'm going to touch base with you later on and see if we can get into the case files and crime scene pictures. So get back in touch with me. I'm on Eastern Standard Time Zone. You take care now. Bye-bye. Next week on Hide and Seek. Do you remember the Bernard Howell and Vonda Boone incident? The meat company that Bernard worked for, his meat was in Nancy's freezer. Vividly. In 20 years in EMS and... This is probably one of the most gruesome things that, that I can recall. The the acts being so intentional are kind of rare. And then uh, I, I vividly remember removing her, her body from the vehicle and looking over and seeing Bernard sitting on the sidewalk staring at us with kind of cold, glassy eyes, and it was very chilling. And, uh, it, you know, that... that that kind of thing sticks with you. You know, when he was pulled over, when the body was found, and there was a freezer in the back with uh, chains over the top of it, 
keeping it closed, which was another thing that was really unsettling uh, because we had, you know, we had found a body in the back of the truck. You know, we were worried that there were more bodies in the freezer. At that point, you know, it was chained shut and we couldn't really get into it. I remember us knocking on the freezer trying to find out if somebody was inside there and if somebody was inside there we could bust open what we were kind of half expecting to open up a freezer and find it full of bodies after what we found in the back of the truck in in a small town you drive by these places you know daily and there's not a day that goes by that that i don't drive by that intersection and, and 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 recall in in you know vivid detail what we saw that night She's a road like a pain For certain places that I would never go Destroy walls, endless walls But ain't no rock can stop me from getting through Graphic design is created by Jordan Robinson, mix and mastering by Hymns and Thunder Studio, and our theme song, Borders, is written and recorded by Colin Dale.